there is a blend in a marriage between intention with purpose while living still in a very fluid manner so that you can go with the flow. But understanding that flow was within the framework of some white lines of which you're now driving and moving forward to. Intention. What does it mean to live with it? And what does it mean to not get locked into it? This is the topic of today's discussion with Dr. Ian Brooks, author of the book, Intention. Today, we're going to dive into Ian's story and talk about his experiences and research around the idea of living with intention. Thanks for joining me today on Mindset Mastery. If you've been enjoying the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app so more people like you can join us on this journey. Now let's jump straight in. Joining me on the Mindset Mastery podcast today, I have Dr. Ian Brooks. Ian, thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you? I'm doing very well, Rachel. How about yourself? Very well, thank you. Excited to talk about your new book, Intention. But before I ask you about that, I actually want to go back to the start. And I believe you were a clinical psychologist at the beginning of your career. Is that right? Yeah, I did work as a clinical psychologist. I wasn't uh, certified as a clinical psychologist. However, I worked in the psychological ward in a 24-hour lockdown facility doing therapy as well as uh, individual and as well as group. So a very interesting experience with that population and then transitioning to uh, what I currently do, working with people and organizations. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. Tell me a little bit about what got you into psychology in the first place and then when you made that transition. Sure. You know, it's interesting. I've always wanted to be a psychologist. I made the decision when I was in high school that I was, wanted to be a psychologist because I was always curious about why people did what they did. And if I could pinpoint why they did what they did, then obviously I could better navigate the world. And I was like, well, psychology seemed like the right fit at that time. And it has been my love and my passion and my joy ever since. And I first wanted to be a clinical psychologist. And so I went and got my master's in clinical psychology. And as I just mentioned, just started working with a more mentally or imbalanced population. And quite frankly, it was a wonderful experience. One that I truly cherished about learning about myself and learning about how people really think who do have chemical imbalances. But I did want to work with some higher functioning people. And, but I still had my passion and love for psychology. So there was a natural progression to going into industrial organization psychology working with organizations and people from a coaching perspective, which quite frankly, I use quite a bit of my clinical skills in in the corporate world and when I'm coaching my clients. Yeah, definitely. I suppose a lot of those foundations cross over if you're working with individuals to working with companies. So what were some of the things that you loved helping organizations do? So, you know, one of the things that I I enjoy helping organizations when I do step in, I, I focus on two particular areas. The first being is leadership development. So I work, on, work with leaders in their, in their talent pipelines to make sure that they have the skills and capabilities to actually move forward or develop as they're navigating the, the waters within the organizations. That's focused on one-on-one coaching as well as through group coaching, which I do through facilitated sessions or series across several months or other. The second piece that I help organizations manage from a change perspective is if they're going through a technology change. As we know, technology is running our world and no different than all of our big corporate organizations are looking to do specific changes and actually leveraging that artificial intelligence as it's moving into the organization. So I do help companies 
off and on with organizational changes that are impacting their people so that they are ready, willing, and able to actually navigate those waters as well. Yeah, and I think change, it's becoming more and more rapid, especially with technology and in the digital age. And if you don't keep up with a lot of the new processes and systems, then you're going to fall behind. So it's even more important now. And as we've seen in our post-COVID world, just the massive change that we all went through in the last 12 months, what have been some things for you that you've seen that are kind of necessary changes that companies might need to make to keep up? You know, that's a great question and one I get asked pretty, pretty often. And, you know, it's really depends upon the organizations I've stepped into and where their kind of their baseline has been. However, I think there are some consistent themes that tend to stand out to me. The first being is how are they actually developing their people? As we think about uh, from a development standpoint, it's typically we're in a brick and mortar and we're actually in front of people. So there's a lot more sight and sound and feel around the people of whom we trust, as well as what they're able to do and what they can't. Now, in, within our COVID time, it's now extended us to be more tighter into our closely knitted within our silos, but not necessarily as connected across the various organizations or other pillars within our organization. So because of that, we don't necessarily have the visibility to the talent that's available to us and actually from a progression standpoint. That's also a challenge for the talent within our own groups as well. So I think one of the things that I've, I've really noticed within the COVID sphere, especially as we now start to incrementally get out, is how are we now developing our talent and creating that visibility again and reinvigorating our talent to make sure that we are retaining them? Because now on the flip side, talent have a lot more options. They were working remotely, they can jump ship at any moment and their values and their work-life balance has become a lot more important. So the second piece is because, because of those instances, we need to be better connected with our talent of whom we really wanna invest more into and show them that they are valued so that they are retained and we can continue to develop them as they move forward. Yeah, yeah. Also just on that, I'm not quite sure of the statistics, but just the, I guess the turnaround of employees, it's so much more common now to have so many different jobs and different careers in our lifetimes. And like you said, holding on to the talent that we already have, what something you know, do you help companies with ways to keep the great talent that they do have working in the company when they have all these other avenues open to them now? You're absolutely right. There's a lot more options and opportunities that people do have to move from place to place. And it's recognizing, number one, what is the reason they are leaving? And I think now, unlike some 30, 40 years ago where people would stay at the company for 25 years, individuals now are going for jobs to create experiences. They're going for a specific skill that they want to develop. They're staying because of the value and being tied to a particular view. They are also leaving because they're now finding a deeper connection with other companies or to something that most resonates with them or in our gig economy, looking for that next project because they don't wanna stay at that next job very long. So once you understand the demographic and what their reasons are for leaving, less so about, it's less so about, hey, I don't like you as much as I want to make sure that I'm continuously developing and growing. I can do that faster by hopping around than staying in a box. Now I can restructure and understand how to build talent pipelines and development programs associated with that level of experience. So let me give an example. At one particular company I worked with, we actually had job rotations where we actually rotated our top talent within a six month period. And in that context, they would learn a specific skill in a brand new role that they may or may not have been a, an expert in and or 
may not even have known anything about, but it afforded them an opportunity to do several things. Number one, challenge themselves in different ways. Secondly, we had to overtly tell them that they were top talent. So that, you know, sometimes in organizations, there's this, there's this fear that if we tell someone that they're top talent, that we'll, we're doing something to them or doing something against other people. Like, so there's a quiet veil behind them. We did tell them that they were top talent so that it let go of any fear or anxiety. Like, hey, I'm not very good at this. Why would I leave? And it affords people an opportunity to, number one, grow. It also symbolizes trust. Trust that we are vulnerable with you, not against you. You're not in this alone, but we want you to grow and we see some value in what you're building out. And the third thing, all circling back with them to say, what did they learn? And what are they going to carry forward be it from that project or from that cycle or that rotation? back to their organization that they just came from so that they can build a better streamlined process and create better awareness for the organization itself. Also, it afforded the other individuals within the organization to have visibility on this individual's skills and abilities. Again, that mere visibility in and of itself cannot be replaced and it's extremely difficult sometimes in our COVID world. Yeah, that's a really interesting structure as well that I've not heard of before, but I think that's really great to grow those people and get those skill sets up in a totally different way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we also focused on in that respect, too, is not only the skills, but we also think about it, thought about it from a demographic standpoint. Where are we pulling individuals from? So it wasn't just based on the knowledge, skills and abilities. It was also how are we creating a diverse pipeline? to make sure that we that people see themselves growing in the organization in just not one particular faction, if you will. So mm -hmm. it was a very one, you know, in order for something like that to happen, to your very statement, it does take commitment. It's aligned to performance management processes. It's aligned to transparency on open jobs and risk on the leader's part as well of getting rid of a top talent and assuming someone else's top talent. And just because you say someone's top talent doesn't mean that they fit my criteria. So it took a lot of trust that had to be built over time. But eventually we started to see some consistency across that and it worked out more times than not. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so I want to talk about the word intention as well before we start to get right into the book, because I think there's a big difference between going along through life with intention and going along an autopilot. So what would be your take on that? Yeah, there's a pluses and minuses for both. I think there's a place for both of them. So I'll give an example. I think I've lived with my life with intention. And one of the reasons I've, I've, I chose this title for a number of different reasons, but one of them being that I always knew where I wanted to go. I always knew what I wanted to learn. I, when I went to school, I knew exactly what schools I wanted to go to, that I was gonna go away, that I wanted to go to someone brand new or I didn't know anyone. That's intention. I also knew what I wanted to study, psychology, and knew what I wanted to get out of that experience. What I could not have anticipated, which kind of goes, goes with the flow, is that you don't know what other experiences you're going to have. You don't know what you're going to learn about yourself, the environment, whether you like it or not. And I learned so much more about myself because of those instances of that go with the flow that I went with intention with a purpose, but I didn't go there with an outcome. I went there for an outcome of psychology, different experience, learn. Now, in the schooling, scholastic world, yes, I went there for an outcome of a degree, but I didn't go there to say, I want to only do this and kept myself in a box. So to your question, there is a, there is a blend in a marriage between intention with purpose while living still in a very fluid manner so that you can go with the flow 
but understanding that flow was within the framework of some white lines of which you're now driving and moving forward to. Yeah, you raise a really great point there. And I think, you know, when you have that destination, say, if it's getting the degree and you become almost like you're going along with blinkers on just to get to that destination and you're not experiencing all those different things like you talked about. So while as, you know, goals are fantastic for giving us direction, I think also being open to those other experiences is just as important. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes maybe even more, you could have gotten so much more out of it. And so for, I know for me, when I went to school and even as I've, I've moved and, and traversed across here in the States for jobs and otherwise, it's been a, a, afforded me an opportunity to experience things that I would never have experienced before, meet some amazing people and do some things that I, I think back and say, wow, that's pretty cool. It, had I not been there or had I not made a decision to move here or otherwise, I would never have even thought about doing this. And so it's just open yourself to the possibilities. And I think a lot of what change is about is not being so structured that it defines you as much as building a capability so that you can meld and fold and, and as you said, traverse the world in, a, in an ebb and flow way. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So moving into the book, what actually led you to write that in the first place? Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, I was always curious about was why do, as I started, why do people do what they do? And, and as I started, you know, working a lot more with the leaders and working one-on-one -on -one with people from a coaching standpoint, there were some common themes that, that really resonated. And I said, people are constantly struggling in the same areas. And I thought, well, let me just start writing some notes down. What, what are thoughts that come to mind uh, as I think about this so that it can make it easier down this path of, of change? And it just kind of evolved into a compilation of notes and thoughts on pads and on my phone and just typing to myself. And then someone suggested I should take that information and, and, and put a book to it. And so I'm, I'm also aligned to this, this, this book in, in a certain way because I wanted a certain challenge. I like challenging myself to do certain things that I normally would never have done. And this was going to be a huge undertaking to write a book, to put my word out there, to be seen because I originally was going to have a ghost written and, you know, or I was, I was, or a ghost, a pen name, excuse me, not ghost written, a pen name because I didn't want my name on it. And so it, it really afforded me an opportunity to step outside of even my own comfort zone in putting this book together. So for those two reasons, I wrote the, wrote the book for my clients, but also uh, for myself as well. Yeah, that's a really big thing that you bring up there, just having, you know, the, I suppose the guts to put ourselves out there, really, it's like such a big thing for probably everyone on the planet, really, maybe there's a few um, gifted individuals who just love doing that. But yeah, and just going on that journey for yourself as well as doing it for the people that needed to hear what you had to say. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as, as I was joking with someone the other day that I'm uh, the author, but I'm also the client because it afforded me a chance to really see and experience myself as a consultant and as a coach through the eyes of a client and start writing in a, in a certain way even the questions I was having to ask myself so if I'm getting stuck where am I getting stuck like okay let's let's think this through or let's process this let's own it let's move forward and it provided a certain fabric and thread throughout the book whereby I could actually understand and really be honest and, and more authentic in certain ways as I was telling some of the stories. Yeah, definitely. 
So what are some of those things that you said you found there were lots of like similarities, commonalities, and a lot of clients and experiences. So what are the main things that you talk about in the book? Sure. You know, I think that one of the first things starts with where's our foundation? There's a quote that I like that goes, he who has no foundation or he who does not build a solid foundation beforehand may with great ability do so afterwards, but with great trouble to the architect and danger to the building. And oftentimes I find that my clients and even sometimes even myself as I was going through this journey, I didn't have the right foundation. And that foundation was anchored on, do I know truly what I'm solving for? Let's discover the things that are around me that are establishing and, and, and keeping me where I am, both from a physical state, a space, from people, even places. Secondly is, do I know me? Who am I? Who are my characters? Who, what are the things that the, the templates and the patterns that I've consistently gone to to keep me safe? that are preventing me from now being open and as authentic as I know I can be and that I should be as, I, as I'm writing this novel and this book. And I think a lot of my clients struggle in the same way, whereby when I'm actually speaking with them, the first thing I'm thinking to myself is, I know you're gonna lie. And it's not a lie because it's conscious, it could be a lie that's conscious, it could also be unconscious, but it's my job is to figure out where is the lie because now it gets to the source of the truth of what some of the challenges are. And that through that discovery and through that evolution, we then begin to see, now we recognize what we're solving for. We recognize who you are, not as a judgment, but as a acknowledgement. Because those two areas then drive to now building a plan and then taking action, redefining how we see success. And then all leads also to the final portions of the book and why I spent so much time on the front end and now this back end, and that is attunement and even how do we sustain. One of the biggest things that people always talk about, I, I don't know how to sustain change. I do it once and I, I don't know how to do it again, or it's so hard. And guess what? Change is hard. And as, But when we see it as a, an event versus a journey and an experience, that's a lot different dialogue. And we talked about that a little bit earlier as well, that there's no end point in this. It's now building it into the fabric of who we are as an individual, aside from, I just did it this one time. And so from the, and, but I think that all starts with, do I have the solid foundation of knowing who I am and now building up to those capabilities so I can do this multiple times versus just once. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so important as well, just with the sustainable change, because it's so easy to fall back on previous habits because they are so ingrained in who we are and building new habits after change. I think that's where really, that's probably where it could all fall fall apart Mm -hmm. after we've done the work in the front end and you might be really excited about this change that's happening and that's when it gets hard after that. And it might even get boring, you know, because it gets back into those maybe more monotonous tasks that are new habits. So how do we make sustainable change? Yeah, and that, it, you know, it's, it's always hard. Um, but I do think there is a recipe for it. And I think it's, it's based off of several things. The first is anchoring ourselves on what our true priorities are. We can't do too much, but we do have to be very clear on what our white lines are. We do have to be work with the intent, but not hold ourselves so stringent that we don't know how to work without outside the lines or not necessarily go sh- straight down the field, if you will. 
I think the second part is we also have to be willing to let go. Letting go of any anchors that are keeping us down of who we are. I think a lot of times when we're trying to shoot for change, we're asking ourselves or better yet telling ourselves, I just need to change this one thing. If I change this one thing, everything else is good. Reality is you swept all that other stuff underneath the rug. <laughs> now, it's, now you have a mound there. And so when we start to see what change really means, we realize that, wow, this is extremely hard. So we have to now step back and realize, let's reframe what success really means for us. It's not about all or nothing. It's about what can I do from an incremental perspective? And I think the other part is establishing a way that takes us away and not thinking about change as a job, but also what within us can we step away so we're not thinking about change? So I talk about it in my book and as uh, your return on enjoyment. What are you doing that you're not thinking about this all the time? Where you can get a breather? Because change is not only hard on the body, it's hard on your mind. And it obviously, as we, I think we can all attest, it's a lot harder to recuperate when your mind is tired than your body, because uh, our mind is always going. So because of that, we need a time to be able to step back and realize that, hey, I just need to get away from even all of this change piece. And I think the fourth recipe I think that I've seen has been really helpful for sustainment is that we're constantly using and looking at the instances when we actually do these new behaviors. We're not just looking at one, we're looking at a second or a third. We're continuously learning. Think, no, that didn't work. Or better yet, I had a great plan, but yet it was just the wrong environment to do it in. And so taking ourselves in, not as serious, but as well as acknowledging that this is a journey and you don't need to do everything at once. And to the extent that you can build in these behaviors on your day-to-day -day routines and into the fabric of what's around you, you're more likely to sustain with that entire recipe I just mentioned to be able to sustain it more likely than not as you move forward. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have some processes like daily practices that you use yourself or that you recommend to other people if you are going through some kind of change and it does start to get hard? I, I do actually. For me personally, it's about pause, process, and reflect. Pause in the moment, just acknowledge where, where I'm at. That could be for me in the morning time. I have a routine where it's just about me, where I'm thinking about re-anchoring myself. What is my priority? What do we, what do I want to do? How am I feeling? That leads that into that processing really giving myself that time to sit down and think. One of the most common faults of men is to not to reckon on storms in fair weather, as the quote says. And in that respect, in the morning time, everything's typically pretty quiet. So that's time for me to really re-anchor with myself and understand what I'm thinking and how I'm processing. Now I can reflect. Reflect on what happened yesterday. Reflect on where I'm going to be going. Reflecting on do I even have the energy at this moment? Because sometimes we're just tired, <laughs> right? Regardless of what happens, you can't go 100%, 100% of the time. It just doesn't happen. So how am I feeling? And now allowing myself to experience that authentically without any judgment and say, okay, here's my priority. I've checked in with myself. I recognize where I'm at. Now, where do I now need to go? And what, what is truly my frame of success of what I can achieve today and or how am I staying true to me? So that's typically my routine. 
that I leverage. Mm. Yeah, another point you raised there about sometimes you are just tired. And I think we so often just want to push through and don't give ourselves any time to rest thinking, you know, just push through, it'll be better in the long run. Or even maybe you feel guilty if you're not doing everything and pushing and hustling and but how important is it to really just slow down when you know yourself that you are tired and it is okay just to take a break when you need to take a break? You're absolutely right. Sometimes it's just, I'm tired. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you know, I, was just, I was reading a, a quote the other day. It says, if you're tired, just do it tired. You know, it, in certain ways, you do need that break, both mentally, physically. And that's why I focused on, you know, a little bit earlier on, you know, that return on enjoyment when you're not having to go through it, when you're not in that go-go mode. I think we went from, you know, COVID offered us an opportunity to go from one extreme to the next where it was go, go, go. And now it's just shut down and nobody was doing, you know, we had a different level of change at that moment where it was just, everything was dropped. But when we're in like normal times and when we're actually going through change from a behavior consciously and making a choice about, we do need to be able to have a chance to step back just to give ourselves a chance to reset and say, I don't, the accomplishment today is just relaxing. That's it. I don't need to do something today. That could be the accomplishment. That is the the intent. It does not have to be, yes, I'm always doing something. I'm always doing something. Look at me. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Snapchat. I'm on this or that. It's not that. It's, It's okay to have an intention of relaxation. (laughs) absolutely so and that's sometimes hard right when we because sometimes we get caught in our own minds like oh i should be doing something or hey i didn't accomplish anything today oh i'm sure you did maybe that's just what you needed is to relax and there's nothing wrong with that but Mm -hmm. we have to let ourselves off the hook in that respect as well yeah absolutely that's so right need to give yourself some space give yourself Mm -hmm. some grace (laughs) and yep slow down every once in a while Absolutely. Maybe more than a little bit once in a while, because I tell you, it seems like we're picking back up again. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the world starts to open up again and it's, oh, we've had all this time of relaxation. Okay, it's time to go and go and go. And it uh, goes back into its old cycle somewhat. Right. Absolutely. I think it's like a roller coaster. You go up, it's like up, and now it's coming back down again. It's like, oh man, it's going to come down fast. Exactly. <laughs> So another thing I want to talk about just in the tagline of your book is the idea about transforming your story. And I think that's just that concept in itself, because I suppose we'll have this story in our minds of who we are and where we're going, but what does it mean to be able to transform that? So either you can change the direction of your life or go more towards what you want to be doing. It's hard. And the reason why I chose the word story is because we're constantly evolving. We are not only the, the writers, the directors, the characters, we create the sets of everything that we do. And I wanted to really in, capture that in an idea um, that we're building a capability to transform our stories because now it's about our choice. It's about our what we decide to do. And the idea of that transformation is not necessarily a singular one because we have people in our lives. We have friends, family, loved ones, children, coworkers who are part of our narrative. But our stories are continuously evolving. And what we can change and can alter is this very moment. 
These moments incrementally allow us the opportunity to transform. So said a little bit differently, each moment is a change. Those changes built up lead us to that transformation. And that's when our story and our fabric, just like any other movie, starts to build and transform and create a wonderful picture of what we've now created. Mm, yeah, that is fantastic. I love that answer and that analogy as well about building the characters and the landscape and the sets that really paints a picture of what we do in our everyday lives. I love it. Yeah, and, and it keeps us safe and some of it has already been created. And, but we also have a choice of changing some of that and or altering it. Doesn't mean it was bad, may have served its purpose for that chapter in your life or in that section of the movie or story. Mm. But the reality is we have an opportunity, should we choose to actually alter that? And now we're transforming our story. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. As a whole, in your book, what is the biggest message that you would like to get people to take away from reading it? Yeah. Number one, transformations are about an experience. Not to be defined through an end result, but through each moment offering an opportunity to do something that you are passionate about, that you define as your priority. And in this case, making a choice to transform, to be the person that you want to be. That does not mean that anyone is less than. It does mean that we're constantly evolving. And the more and the better that we can get at transforming our stories and building those capabilities through thinking, processing, and then doing, the better we'll be served as we reach other instances of change that we did not ask for. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that's really succinct and it has real real depth as well. That's that's great. If someone would like to connect with you, grab a copy of the book, where can we find you? Sure. I can be found at uh, roadsmith.com. That's R-H-O-D-E-S-S-M-I-T-H.com. You'll find on there my book as well as uh, my news and press as well as other places that I may be posting. In addition, I am located on Twitter and Instagram. Both have the same handle at B underscore intention. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been great to talk to you, Ian, and can't wait to connect with you on socials and follow your story as you keep on going. No, thank you, Rachel. I look forward to following your story as well. You can find those links to connect with Ian in the show notes below. It was great to have you back for another episode of Mindset Mastery. Until next time, remember, we are only limited by what we believe we are limited.